Hey everyone, welcome to Mastermind.fm. We're back with Andrew Faruja. We already had one episode with Andrew just uh, one or two weeks ago, and we focused on fitness. Now, fitness is a very big topic, health and fitness, in fact. So in the first episode, we started off by talking about diets more than anything else, because it's a very important factor of getting back to health if you're not at your best condition. But obviously, that's only one part of the equation. And we had many questions asking us about what exercises to do, because obviously it's part fitness, part part training and part um, diet and food. So today we're going to explore the exercises part of the equation. So I would like to make the case as well for someone who's just starting from scratch with no previous experience in training. And, uh, you know, this type of person is usually averse to maybe training at the gym because he's not confident of what exercises to do, how to use the machines, how he or she looks. There's a lot of barriers to entry to make it a successful practice. And that's what I want to deal with today together with Andrew. So, Andrew, welcome back to the show and let's get right into it. Hi, John. Thanks for having me back. And it's Rightly, as you suggested, today we're going to talk about exercise. And your first question was, what would be the best way forward for someone who is uh, leading a sedentary lifestyle, basically? And uh, in these situations, I would recommend to first get to know the history of the person. And I would ask the person, how long have you been inactive? Have you performed any, any exercise while growing up, um, what is your history with injuries, if you had any? What pain do you feel nowadays? And start from there, because uh, it all depends on where the person stands in the current situation. Can I just interrupt you right there? Because many times you hear this phrase that you should always consult a doctor before starting off with a trainer or starting off on your own. That's right. How important is that? It is very important because um, a trainer, no matter how good he or she may be, they will probably not be competent enough to be able to assess any physical problem, be it um, musculature or or even physical condition that, that the person may have. So it is vital that a person will run a checkup with his GP before actually approaching a personal trainer. A professional personal trainer would actually consult with the client and make sure that the client has the go-ahead from, uh, from his GP. So typically that might involve not doing certain exercises due to previous injuries or maybe some heart problems that might prevent certain intensities of training, that kind of stuff, right? Yep, that's right. And of course, the older the client, the more important it is for getting this go ahead. All right. So you are saying about like this initial study that you do with your clients. Yes. This is also when we talk about clients and your clients, this is applies to everyone who's starting training, whether on his own or whether with a trainer. It's not essential to start off with a trainer, especially if you have done sports before and you more or less know how things work. Yes. And so let's talk about, is there any difference between males and females or age groups, how they should go about starting off? For the, the general young clients, young meaning between, let's say, 16 and 35, I would recommend uh, first starting with uh, low intensity. That would be fast walking or easy jogging. 
coupled with easy resistance training. So the walking and the slow jogging would be the cardiovascular activity, which works the heart, whereas the resistance training would be tapping on the muscles so that um, we build them together. So uh, what kind of uh, resistance training am I talking about here? I'm talking about that kind of training which involves mobility in the three planes of motion. So that is backwards and forwards, to the side and even rotationally. Because that way we can make sure that the client, the person is using the whole body. We have um, a misconception, whereas, um, for example, many people I see at the gym, they always work in the forward motion or they, they never... Um, do rotations they never work their lateral musculature and uh, that can cause problems over the long run especially postural problems because uh, the person as soon as i don't know in real day life they'll do a movement which requires this rotation or this uh, lateral involvement they would get hurt you know so it is very important that we train holistically and not just the traditional way of just lifting weights and without without even thinking about building a solid base. So this is very important. The starting point should focus on building a solid base before we actually take the intensity up a notch. So building a solid base, both on the cardiovascular aspect and also on the resistance aspect of training, and then um, gradually build uh, from there. All right. So I think from what you're saying, one important factor is that we always be working on the body as a whole rather than specific parts of it. So it's the full body. And uh, second, I think there was some other point that you made. And then there's the resistance aspect, which works the muscles. Oh, and the planes of motion, which is very important. And before you, you had told me about it, I hadn't even considered it myself. That's right. And I think it's, uh, you had learned it specifically when you went to Australia for your course as well. So... That's right, that's right. This emanates from the fact that uh, traditionally we used to see the muscles in isolation. So let's say the biceps, the triceps, the hamstrings, the quadriceps, the calves. But uh, the new school of thought tells us that we should not look at muscles in isolation because the muscles in the body are all connected together through what we call muscle fascia. So we don't just particularly have muscles standing on their own, but we have muscle fascia which, uh, funnily enough, connects the, the lower body to the upper body. So let's say the calf of the right leg is connected to the, the shoulder of the left arm. So, you know, tightness in the calf of the, the right leg might lead to impingement or, or an uncomfortable feeling or a feeling of tightness or stiffness on the left shoulder. So this is how we need to look at our body nowadays. We need to to make sure that um, we do not focus just on particular muscles, but ideally work the whole body. So compound exercises rather than isolation exercises, particularly for beginners. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about bodybuilding here because over there, that is an advanced level and uh, we need to do some isolation work. But uh, the basis of exercise should be compound movement. So movements that involve the whole body. So you may be thinking, okay, what kind of exercise? Exercises like squats, for example, which uses a lot of joints. So you're using the ankles, you're using the knees, you're using the hips. Exercises like the military press, the shoulder press, which is using both the shoulder joint 
and uh, the elbow joint, you know, and and uh, so compound exercises which involve the movement of more than one joint at one go. So I'd like you to clarify one thing because this is always a discussion that I had with my parents who on and off train in various ways. But let's take like, somebody like my mom who does goes out walking in the morning or light running and that's it you know and then she's doing her housework which also obviously requires her to be on her feet all day so there's movement in the body compared to someone who's sedentary most of the day right but what i always tell her is that it's not about just walking or running you have to also keep into consideration the muscles perfect and train specific exercises but it, it never really registers and i think i find this resistance a lot in the older generation, maybe because they didn't have access to so many programs and machines and gyms and all this. Right. But how important is it in reality to both train your heart through the running and the walking and your muscle? It is very important because uh, the muscle is what keeps our posture. If we don't train the muscles, we can actually end up having uh, more probability of being um, in a bad posture which will lead to different kinds of pains. Apart from that, training muscle will uh, require the body to use more calories. Resistance training is actually a more effective way of staying lean, of getting rid of body fat. That's another thing. Mm -hmm. Also, resistance training has been proven to strengthen our bones. So especially, particularly with the older generation, when our bones become more um, uh, sensitive and more weak, it is even more important that we focus on some type of resistance training. Um, we are not talking about heavy weights, but uh, anything which even involves body weight, such as air squats or easy lunges, you know. So anything which involves the, use, the involvement of joints rather than, than just walking or jogging. Of course, the resistance training has to be low impact, particularly when we're talking about the older generation. But uh, there are so many benefits to resistance training, among which were the ones I mentioned, that it is even more important, in my opinion, than uh, cardiovascular activity itself. Mm. So let's do a bit of a recap. So from what we said last time, is it correct to say that the building blocks of this journey back to health will be based on a good diet, cardiovascular training and resistance training? Or is there something else? That's right. Um, those three um, pillars, as I like to mention them, are what constitutes, in my opinion, the, the fundamentals of healthy living, apart from, of course, uh, sufficient rest. But you are correct. It is those three which we, we need to hit in order to, for us to, to be able to live in a healthy body. And it's good that you mentioned rest. I think that's also another neglected aspect of healthy living. First of all, we see many people working too much and getting too little hours of sleep every night and this will impact their health and secondly there are people who go from zero to 200 percent in training and don't rest their body so i'd like you to spend some time on on sleep and rest and how important this is yes um there is a common misconception that we actually grow our muscles grow while we're training which is incorrect while we're training, while we're performing resistance training, we're actually breaking down the muscle. And it is during rest that the muscle is regenerating and recovering and growing. So uh, if you get this 
if you understand what I just said, it means that rest is even more important part of the equation than than um, training itself. Of course, both need to be there, but um, one cannot just train, train, train and uh, forget about rest because overtraining will lead to injury. And uh, it is inevitable that overtraining leads to injury. Um, of course, the younger the person is, the, the less risk of overtraining because we're more physically capable. However, it is very important. I can see it even in, in my case. Whenever I try to to push um, a bit too much, I inevitably got, got injured. So um, rest, rest is paramount. And uh, when I talk about rest, it's not just sleeping sleeping sufficient amount of hours per night, but it is also giving sufficient rest between one session and another. And when I say rest, it is not necessarily sitting down and watching TV and doing nothing all day, but it has to be an active rest. Even, for example, for an athlete like myself, an active rest would involve a slow jog, for example, um, foam rolling. Um, which uh, we can talk about later. Mm -hmm. It is um, treating your body in a way which actually facilitates and speeds recovery. If we're going to sit all day and do nothing, then the body is not made to sit all day. So just light movement, um, even a, a walk, a light jog, foam rolling will speed up recovery. As for sleep, of course, we all lead busy lifestyles and we cannot afford <laughs> unlimited number of uh, hours of sleep. But Let's say one should not go below six hours, definitely, and aim for at least seven hours. Seven hours is a good enough, reasonable also um, amount of hours of sleep. If you can afford eight hours, well and good, but seven is enough. Yeah, I think on the topic of sleep, I've read a very interesting book lately. I think it, the name is Nick Hayes, the author, and he works with athletes like footballers like Manchester United and cyclists. And basically his whole job is that of optimizing their rest and their sleep. So he goes into detail on, you know, the choice of mattress that you sleep upon, the environment, how dark your room is, and the quality of the air, everything which affects your rest. And I, I highly recommend this book. And uh, one important thing that he mentions is that it's not about just a crude number of hours that you sleep, but the sleep cycles and the quality of the sleep. And what I've done in the recent months is to buy myself a Fitbit, which is like a watch that you wear around your wrist all day. And it measures your heartbeat and also your sleep cycles. And then at the end of the week, it will show you how many hours you actually slept. I find it useful because sometimes our perception is totally different from reality. And we think we're getting enough sleep, but our average will show that we're only sleeping, say, five hours. And that's obviously will lead to you know, being sleepy, not feeling motivated enough to train or to work hard. And it will affect many aspects of your life, even your health in terms of diseases. So I think it's very important to take that aspect into consideration. And I don't think we should really be discussing sleep that much, but I will definitely leave a link or two to some studies on the subject and this book that I found very useful. One important thing that you mentioned also related to rest is to pace yourself in training. So let's say someone is starting out. Are there any specific like number of times they need to train per week? Okay. So it depends on the intensity. Of course, um, I would suggest starting out at a very low intensity and building up gradually. 
if it is a very low intensity kind of exercise, one can do it every day, of course. However, um, the body will actually give signs, send signs to tell you whether you should actually be training or not. However, we're not really good at reading these signs many times. But of course, during the first few weeks of exercise, I often get the comments saying, oh my God, I'm so sore. I can't uh, bear bear this feeling any longer. But um, one has to actually um, distinguish between a sore pain and injury pain. A sore pain would be something uh, that is not not um, dangerous. One should not just avoid training because of um, sore pain, of course. If it is very acute, then yes, I would suggest that you rest. But the first few weeks, it is inevitable that that we feel sore. Because uh, imagine your muscles, uh, they're going through a little trauma after so many weeks or months doing nothing. So that is normal, you know, the, your, your muscles are regenerating and they're going to feel sore. Funnily enough, even myself, um, I've just been on a 10-day trip, holiday, where I actually still performed some kind of exercise, of course, not at the same intensity that I usually perform, but even uh, upon returning back home and after a few sessions, um, I could feel uh, a sore feeling that I hadn't felt for quite some months. So a few days can make a, a difference. You know, so imagine someone who has been inactive for, for many months. I totally agree. I was just in Budapest for a week and upon getting back, I just played three days in a row, played paddle. And uh, yeah, by the third day, I had to stop for two days because my legs were aching like never <laughs> before. And it just goes to prove what you just said. Right. Um, so that is the thing, you know, of course, if, if you've been training for a long time, you can afford uh, taking a week off. And um, because uh, in the same way that you, you quickly lose your fitness, you will quickly um, get it back. But for someone who has been idle for a long time, it will take a longer time to get in shape. So one needs to keep that into consideration. In my case, for example, I've been always training at high intensity since I was seven years old. And I've, I've got used to the routine um, of training Monday to Saturday with one session a day. And I make it a point that on Sunday I, I rest. Again, I don't rest completely as in I don't sit all day, but I try to walk around. I do some foam rolling and, and I find it very beneficial because um, on Monday then I feel uh, re-energized, you know, so... So even just one day of rest can, can make a big difference for me. When I try to train every day without having a rest day, I start feeling funny pain. So, so that will be a sign that, that rest is, uh, is necessary. That is the level of rest um, one should be able to assess based on the history and his goals. I mean, uh, for someone who, is, who just wants to be healthy, feel healthy, um, I would suggest uh, to at least exercise three times a week, you know, of course, assuming that nutrition is going to be on point. But uh, as a minimum, exercising three times a week, I think is, is uh, important. Excellent. Let's jump into two listener questions. The first one is, I want to build abs for summer. Should I just focus on crunches and ab exercises? Specifically, not only on building abs, but losing fat in the abs area. So will I lose fat by making crunches and will I get those uh, magazine poster apps? 
<laughs> this is uh, another myth that has been uh, hovering uh, over the fitness industry for plus I don't know 20 years but uh, unfortunately the answer is is only one the answer to having great abs is nutrition you know that's why one often hears that abs are made in the kitchen not in the gym <laughs> because uh, for one to have uh, visible abs one needs to have um, a low low body fat percentage i mean it it all depends on how visible you want them to be if you want to be the if you want your abs to look like like a bodybuilder then your body fat has to be even lower but to have um, uh, reasonably visible abs it's it's useless doing uh, i don't know how many crunches and weights and whatever but it's it's all all nutrition basically of course you you need to work your abs um, every now and then but uh, yes like i said it is crucial that nutrition is correct so basically the process is to lower your body fat until you know the the fat in that area is very minimal and then your abs will automatically start showing right and uh, another misconception linked to what you're saying is that we can't choose to lose fat in a particular area mm-hmm. of our body yeah. you have to just lose fat and full stop you know it's some people say how can i lose fat in my um, tummy you know it's, it's it doesn't work like that it's the general body fat levels of course some people store more fat in one particular area of their body and other people in another area but it's a general uh-huh. drop in body fat percentage that was actually the next question and i think you've already answered but just to be super specific training your abs doesn't mean that the muscle in your abs will eat more fat from that area correct correct, correct. so you cannot train a specific area of your body and that muscle will eat the fat from around it the fat is taken from all around the body wherever it starts that's right that's right then if you want a particular muscle to be stronger then uh, you you've target that muscle more often but it doesn't mean that you're gonna lose fat in the area or the muscle you're training yeah, i think it's worth mentioning that men and women we all have different body types as in uh, men and women in general have different body types as in ectomorph endomorph and you can find these online but between men and women there's a big difference in where the fat is stored right correct correct women tend to store more fat around the hip area and that is uh, because um, of their human nature you know women are are meant to reproduce so even the way their hormones are balanced out they're all focused towards that particular thing even for example the the levels of testosterone which is uh, the hormone which builds muscle burns fat um, it is uh, much more elevated in a man than it is in a woman which is also why men can carry much less body fat than than a woman does for example for a man to have let's say 7% body fat is much more easy than than for a woman i mean it's almost impossible for a woman to go down to the percentage of body fat for example for a woman to be considered lean i mean 15% for a woman would be very lean you know whereas for a man 5% 6% would be considered to be very lean so that is the difference we're talking about and at this point the the abs would be showing very visibly correct correct at 5% uh, you'll have a fitness model abs you know so but wait a second is that sustainable long term or is it just for competition that is just for competitions the healthy level of body fat percentage for a man ranges 
between let's say 7% and uh, 15% in my opinion of course some people are more genetically gifted in keeping low body fat than than other people mm-hmm. for example i can sustain a body fat percentage of let's say 6-7% for a longer time than other people can because I've been doing sports since I was a very at high intensity since I was a kid so my body is used to that kind of um, uh, I don't know nature but uh, of course um, I understand that not everybody can can sustain this kind of um, body fat percentage for a number of months but let's say 10% would be a reasonable amount of body fat to live in over the majority of the year, you know, between 10 and 15%. And of course, it all depends on what activity you want to do. For example, a tennis player mm-hmm. can, can afford more body fat percentage than, than I don't know, a bodybuilder or, or I don't know, a swimmer, you know? So, so why is that? When we're talking about bodybuilding, we're, the focus is aesthetics, you know? Whereas uh, tennis and swimming, we, the focus is performance. One can sacrifice aesthetics for performance when we're talking about tennis. But in bodybuilding, if you're not, not going to have low body fat, you, you're not going to look good. You know? So there are different goals mm-hmm. and uh, different goals require um, different targets, different um, uh, exercises. Yeah, got it. What would be a good percentage for women? Because we mentioned 7 to 15 for men. Mm-hmm. So for women, I would say around 20%, let's say between um, 18 and uh, and 25% in that bracket right. would be a healthy, healthy amount of, of body fat. Of course, I'm not um, a doctor myself, but mm-hmm. I would say that that area, um, even up to 30%, would be healthy over the long run, you know, and even um, allowing a girl to look the way she wants, of course. And uh, are calipers the most accurate home-based method to measure uh, body fat percentage? Definitely. And um, when we use calipers, it has to be a third person measuring you rather than you measuring yourself because it is uncomfortable to and almost impossible to, to be able to pinch your body fat levels, for example. Yes, you mentioned it. So, so it has to ideally be the same person measuring you. And also at the same time of the day, because um, Mm. our body fat levels and our, for example, water retention vary during different uh, times of the day. So we try to keep it as consistent as possible. So it's worth mentioning that even if you're taking your weight, also do it, for example, first thing in the morning. Correct. Correct. Another question we had from last week's episode about where we focused on eating and diet was should i eat more on training days yes the answer is yes this for the reason that as as i said the, during the last episode it is a formula of uh, energy in and energy out in order to hit the right calories so of course if there is more energy going out during training you need to sustain that by more calories in via food and how would an on fitness expert manage that is it just an extra plate a day or right, an extra right, right. an amount of eggs or protein shake? So it depends on what kind of exercise um, the person has been doing during the day. If it's... Um, uh, We're talking about a beginner level here. Beginner so. level. So beginner level would probably work for maximum one hour and at max burn 300 calories. 
So 300 calories would just be, uh, let's say, an extra snack, you know, nothing major. So you don't need to eat an extra chicken <laughs> on the days you train. No, this is also connected to what we said last week, that uh, we can easily overeat, you know, because um, mm -hmm. we, we believe that while we're training, we're going to burn, I don't know how many calories, but the reality is that in order to burn a meal, just let's say a 500 calorie meal, you would need to work out intensely for, for an hour, you know. So that is to put things into perspective. It's interesting that I've been observing my wife and her measuring of the protein, fats and carbs that she's been recording because she's been using my fitness pal and recording all this information for every meal. I don't have the patience to do it, so I am happy just looking at what she's doing. And what we what we observed is that it's very easy to overeat and undereat specific parts of that mix. So you might be taking in too much carbs every day, but too little protein, for example. Right. right. And that can severely affect your, body your performance and yeah. your, your body composition. So it's very interesting. Yes. So you might be eating small portions five times a day, but you're still not getting it right. Perfect. Many times um, when I start working with a client, my question to them, one of them is, describe your typical uh, daily eating habits, you know, and... Many times, after a few seconds, I realize that they're lacking fats, for example, they're lacking protein, or many times, no, nobody's lacking carbs, funnily enough, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, there is that risk of uh, eating the same uh, macronutrient while sacrificing uh, carbs or fats or protein. You know, macronutrients is the title for um, carbs, proteins, and fats, just for the sake of clarity. And just to revise what we described, um, what we talked about last time. When we talk about overeating carbs, what are the typical causes of that? What parts like that people can recognize? What types of food? Sugar, you know, sugar is, is everywhere nowadays and sugar is a carb. So anything which is sugar is, is consuming bad carbs. We shouldn't and even... it doesn't mean that you're just pouring extra sugar into your coffee. It means that the actual coffee you buy from Starbucks has a bunch of sugar in it. Or the Coca-Cola that you drank for breakfast, dinner and lunch, <laughs> that has a ton of sugar yeah, as well, right? Yeah, that's right. And unfortunately, here we're even talking about bad carbs. Uh, there is also a distinction to make between bad and good carbs that we did the other day. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we're not even getting the carbs, even though we're eating a lot of carbs, we're not even getting them right. So that is very bad. You know, many people eat processed foods because they're in a hurry or because they, they lack knowledge. This is uh, also why we, we need to focus on getting uh, the, the proteins, carbs and fats right. It's not just a matter of replacing sugar with good carbs i remember yeah i remember reading some very good articles on this on your blog i think we should link those so people can go in because it's it's not that easy in reality to really wrap your hand around this topic of the three macronutrients and the good and bad carbs of course, of course. and and good and bad fats so i think it merits some reading so if we could give them links to those articles, I think yes, it could there, be Yes, there are some um, basic articles for beginners, which I had prepared mm -hmm. so that uh, I wrapped everything in a nutshell for, for a person, not to be overwhelmed when, when reading these articles. You know? Yeah. And I think we could also mention just the typical, why are we eating too little or too much fat? What could those products be? 
So fats um, would be anything, for example, with cheese, butter, dairy products contain a lot of fat, even nuts, even though nuts contain healthy fats, we can easily, <laughs> even myself, I know it's, sometimes it's my weakness. I, I have a box of almonds next to me and and I'm just nibbling on them, but uh, it, it is so easy to eat excessively with nuts. So uh, it is important that if you're going to eat nuts, you just take the number of nuts you want and just um, put the, the box away or the, the bag away yeah. because it's so easy. Careful of those yes. nuts. <laughs> Ever since you mentioned that they're, they're a healthy snack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't stopped eating that. <laughs> yeah, fats are found not only in... Uh, Typical things that we think of as fat, like the, you know, what is the, the breakfast, uh, the spork thing, what's it, bacon. Not only in bacon or the McDonald's stuff that makes you fat, it's a bit of a misconception. Again, there's good and bad fats yeah. that I suggest people can read about on your blog. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, I mentioned almonds. Let's say almonds have uh, contain healthy fats. However, then what you said is bacon, sausages, and anything which is processed. Processed meat contains uh, a lot of, of bad fat and uh, and also shelf products, you know, sometimes contain a lot of mm -hmm. what we call hydrogenated fats. And uh, the food manufacturers use these in order to extend the shelf life of, of foods, you know. So even in protein bars, for example, I can see when I read the ingredients, many protein bars have these hydrogenated fats, which are very dangerous, you know. They will increase the bad cholesterol in our body. So it is very important that when we read ingredients and we see fats, we can distinguish between good and bad fats. And again, I'll, I can provide links which, which tackle this argument. So typically we're eating too many carbs, fat. What's the typical? Mm, I think we're eating too many carbs, too little protein. Mm -hmm. Fats, it varies between one person and another. You know, I, I've met people who take no fats whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to, to hit the right amount of fats by just, for example, adding a, a spoon of extra virgin olive oil with lunch and dinner, taking some almonds and, and some eggs, and that's all. You, we, know, we don't need to take a lot of fats. We just need to take a sufficient amount of fats, but it's not a lot of fats, you know, that we need. So again, the goal is not to eliminate all fats. Exactly. Just take them in small portions. For example, mm -hmm. the other day, if you, if you recall... And um, when, uh, when I was describing the typical ideal plate, I was saying, let's say about 40% of it would be carbs. 30% mm -hmm. of it would be a protein. Yeah. Um, let's say, I don't know, 15% would be vegetables and the other 15% would be fats. Mm -hmm. And I think that adds up to 100% unless I did some, some mathematics mistake over there. But, but this is uh, to give you a perspective into how much fat we should be eating. It's not a lot, but we should be including uh, around 15 to 20% of our diet in, in fats. Right. And, and with regards to protein, just to complete the picture, what are the typical ways we get the protein from and... How do we get too little of protein? Okay, so uh, yes, we're not eating enough protein many times. Protein should be found in every meal and snack, you know, because it is uh, the main source of muscle generation. Our muscles are made from actually protein fibers. So if, if we work out and we do not take enough protein, you know, there's not enough protein to, for the, the muscle to grow and regenerate. So it is very important that when we're doing resistance training, particularly, we feed our body with sufficient amount of protein. And protein can come from 
a variety of sources. Fish, meat, egg whites, and even nuts contain proteins. There are some very good grains, whole grains, for example, quinoa, which contains proteins as well, apart from carbs and fats. But for example, for people who are vegan or vegetarian, they cannot get their fats from meat, so they need to get it from plant-based food. And uh, quinoa, for example, would be a, a good option. Even beans, for example, and legumes, you know, they contain quite a rich serving of protein. Very interesting. So we have very little time left, but I think we can answer the last question that we have. And then next time we can focus on more exercises, more types of exercises that people can explore just to make sure that, you know, it's fun for everyone to train and exercise because obviously you can be doing an exercise which is horrible and there's another exercise which you totally love and you get the same benefits from it so it's just about finding the right mix so next time we can delve into those things the last question that i would like to tackle is again from last time some reader told us is there a difference in buying packaged foods or not not only processed food but Let's say you buy lettuce that's been packaged versus buying from your corner shop, uh, vegetable shop. What's the difference in buying everything from the supermarket, basically, uh, compared to buying, say, an organic vegetables from this shop and, you know, cooking, also cooking before you eat it, basically, rather than just putting something in the microwave or something prepared? When we're talking about prepackaged foods, um, many times uh, you're running the risk of consuming additives, some additives that the food manufacturers use to preserve the food product for longer. And of course, we do not know uh, with certainty what those additives are, you know, because nobody's going to say, but mm -hmm. there's always a higher risk of uh, getting sick from something over, over the long run. When you constantly buy packaged foods rather than buy them directly from a farmer or organic and cooking them yourselves, you know, we can never eliminate this risk, even if you buy them from a farm. I mean, because you have no control over the real process of the food from the field to your plate. But of course, when you buy them in their natural state, we're minimizing this risk. Mm -hmm. One thing I would like to, to know, John, um, yep. also for the benefit of our followers, is that I, I am a qualified personal trainer, but I am not a qualified nutritionist. So, yep. so uh, whatever I'm saying um, with regards to nutrition is uh, not uh, qualified. So on this point, I would like to thank um, Martina, who, mm -hmm. who is uh, the nutritionist on my blog. And it is only thanks to her that actually with her, I offer a personal nutrition plan service. If any of our followers wants to ask more specific questions about nutrition, I can happily forward them to Martina. Yep. And I'm sure she she'll be able to answer them in a professional way more than, than I am actually doing. Because my knowledge is based on reading and trial and error on my, on my body during the, the many years in fitness and athletics. Excellent. But uh, of course, they're not certified. Mm -hmm. And obviously we mentioned a lot of the links that we mentioned earlier are articles that have been written by Martin, I believe, correct? Correct. That those are the nutrition posts more than anything. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So if you go to Andrew's blog, it's not that you'll be reading untested material. This is all <laughs> good stuff that uh, I, I want to clarify that 
It's not that you're just inventing this yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's not just bro, bro science. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you might not be certified, I think we just have a look at the pictures <laughs> of your physique. <laughs> the stuff clearly works. So, yeah. But yeah, good that you mentioned it. All right, so I think we can wrap it up there for the day. I invite once again listeners to submit their questions. I remind you that we have our speak pipe, which you can find on the mastermind.fm website. You can actually speak your question and we'll just um, play it and answer it in the next episode. You can send a message to Andrew directly and we can also tackle it. You can find Andrew on social media. Is it Mirror Friendly on Instagram? Mirror Friendly on Instagram and on Facebook and info mm -hmm. at mirrorfriendly.com if you would like to use email. Yep. Or you can email us podcast at mastermind.fm with your questions. And we'll be sure to answer all those questions in the next episode with Andrew, where we'll be dealing with different types of exercises and stuff you can do to make sure that you not only improve your health and your lifestyle, but enjoy doing it uh, while you're at it. So once again, thanks a lot, Andrew, for being with us and sharing your knowledge. And we look forward to having you on the next episode. Thanks, John. See you. See you.